Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Braden Dollar Coltman and the newly married Elliot Tanti. We were off last week uh, on behalf of, uh, or I guess in, as a result of the <laughs> nuptials of Elliot. Uh, Elliot, how's it feel? You're a week into this so far. Any regrets or is it settling in nicely? No, made it through a week and uh, we haven't killed each other yet. So I think that's a good sign, right? It's step one. Uh, and I'm sure that's that, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what step two is, but I'm sure you'll get there. So congratulations to you on that and, uh, and to your wife. And, uh, and I guess, you know, good to be back. Uh, we took the week off last week. We missed a lot of, of great storylines, but I think it was worth it in the end. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. Okay. So, uh, as I said, we missed a lot last week, but the one big storyline that we now get to settle into for the next, what else, like 129 days or something like that is baseball. Baseball is back. Um, we have spent a good deal of time so far this year talking about the strike and all of the labor negotiations, but none of that matters now because baseball is being played and it is being played by some of our favorite teams. That's where we're going to start. Uh, Elliot has committed himself to following baseball more closely this year, both as a Canadian and that means de facto Blue Jays. Uh, but I think truly his allegiance and his heart has really fallen for, uh, uh, a team a little further South. And I know because of conversations we've had off air, uh, that he really is truly a smitten with the swinging friars of San Diego. This is going to officially be the new, uh, Canadian podcast dedicated to the Padres throughout the season as, uh, Elliot will keep us up to date. Elliot. I know there's some big news coming out of out of San Diego. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, you're up first here, buddy. How great has the start to the season been for the Padres? Well, it was a little bit shaky game one, but they ended up coming out of Arizona with three wins and one loss. I'm not sure if that's because the Padres are good or if Arizona is a really bad team. Um, but really, they dominated Arizona for almost 34 of the 36 innings played over this last weekend. And the pitching seems to be what everyone said the pitching was going to be good. Um, they're a defensive team. The hitting is always going to be the challenge. Uh, I'm, as you guys, I, I know, are well aware, uh, losing Tatis Jr. to a broken wrist um, to start the season is, is a massive blow to the team. And is, uh, but it's also allowed for, you know, this CJ Abrams guy to come up. They're, they're like hot new prospect. And he made the opening day roster. No one expected that. And it's, he's going to be playing shortstop. And it's just super exciting. And, you know, as a Padres fan for all of three weeks, I feel really confident in the team. Elliot, did you actually watch any of the games this weekend? I, uh, I followed them all on my Padres app. I've got notifications set. I've got, uh, I know all the starters, uh, and I'm and I listen to two Padres podcasts a week that keep me updated on the news. So there's no shortage of Padres uh, content out there to consume, and I am consuming. And we are now contributing to it. Let's touch on the biggest story of the beginning of the Padres season, though. They set a new Major League Baseball record for the first team ever to have back-to-back no hitters. Um, with two different pitchers, which is phenomenal. Very exciting to start the year. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, a, a great way to kind of get the fans uh, fired up. And I'm sure that for all of those new fans out there, like you, Elliot, this is just a, it's a taste of what's to come. I think they're, what, what I mean, they're, they, 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 they had a great weekend. I mean, I don't know what, how else to say it. 
Yeah, and except for a, a, a spotty ninth inning in the first game, they would have been 4-0. Like, they were they were awesome this week. There's a real professionalism around this club, Jordan. Uh, new new manager, uh, and uh, that's that's really, you know, the, the team went off the rails last year, but this year I think there's, there's good leadership. It seems like the guys are really gelling. I mean, it's a great time to be a Padres fan. Um, and as I've been for three weeks now, I'm very invested in this team. So, this just before so we just before we leave this for a second here, um, uh, I, I you know I, I may or may not have have given you a wedding gift, but I know Braden and I have been discussing wanting to invest a little bit in your Padres fandom. So, if we were to buy a jersey for you, what player right now has caught your eye? Uh, and has really excited you to start the season. Is it you, Darvish, with the no hitter? Is it some? Hey. Is it one of the sort of the newer guys? No, it's got to be Kim because I think Kim has a real future. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't doing a lot of hitting last year, but he's had a really good start to his hitting. He's he's looking like he belongs in the league, which is something he's not had up until this point. Um, but I, I, it would either be him. But I think you have to go with the Tatis Junior jersey just simply because. He's their quarter of a billion dollar player. He's signed for 15 years. Uh, he is the future, the be all, the end all. Uh, and so that would, it would be either Tatis or a kid for sure. All right. Well, Braden, I'm sure you've got lots of opinions and thoughts on the Padres. Um, but if you'll indulge nope. me, I wanted to talk about the Mets for a minute. Um, oh, no, I'm why? Who wants I'm to talk about kidding. the Mets? I'm just kidding. What I'm just kidding. Heck? Let's go to the Blue Jays. Obviously, you know, lots of talk about the Blue Jays heading into the regular season. Vegas especially had lots to say about the Blue Jays. They are considered one of the favorites to win the World Series. Does that make you nervous or excited as a Blue Jays fan? Is it good to have those kind of expectations or is that a jinx waiting to be fulfilled? Uh, it's a, it's a little column A, a little column B. It's nice to have that kind of, uh, excitement around statistically the, the players that are on the team this year, they, you know, there were some pretty big holes to fill with, uh, Robbie Ray leaving, um, uh, Marcus Simeon leaving, uh, but they did a really great job once the lockdown, a lockout stopped and they were able to start signing some players, a really great trade for Matt Chapman. who's going to really, uh, anchor the, the third base side. Uh, for the Jays. And then, I mean, they did a really great management, did a really great job the last couple of years uh, at the deadline. I think it's going to really come down to our, uh, our bullpen and letting the the offense speak for itself. Cause it's absolutely there. We saw it in the first couple, couple of games, uh, big comebacks for the Jays, uh, but the excitement's there. I, and I think the other thing that's really playing in their favor right now is this is their first time back to Toronto to start the season. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement for the players as well as the fans and uh, kind of in a, in a blessing way, we haven't seen Rogers center been that busy, that, that packed um, for those games uh, since like the 2016 playoffs. So to have that right to the, at the beginning of the season, I think there's a lot of excitement here. I would say absolutely temper your expectations uh, first opening weekend of what the Jays and what other teams are going to do. Even though there's going to be a lot of surprises through this stuff. Uh, the Jays have a lot of really, really great things uh, working in their favor. And it's great to see that Vegas thinks so too. So uh, just to wrap this up, obviously baseball, it's that time of year. We're getting into it. Obviously the NBA fine, the playoffs are coming. The NHL playoffs are coming. There's a lot of other sports that grab a lot of attention, but do you think coming out of all of the, 
messiness of the offseason that baseball has got off on the right foot, Elliot, as far as the attention it's grabbing and the headlines it's trying to get? Will it be a good year for baseball in general? No. It's been interesting kind of tapping into these other uh, like through my Padres fandom, like listening to Americans and people really invested in baseball talk about these issues. Um, and, you know, the things that we complain about in this show, the length of games, the need, the, the, the lack of excitement in the younger audience, the, the losing of the place of the game in society are all things that are really relevant in the States and are being said in the States too. Um, I do think there's excitement about next year because I think they're going to institute some real changes and, and they're going to look at some ways to speed up the game and make things more interesting. Um, but until those are created and instituted, uh, you know, which is not going to be this year, baseball is still going to continue to suffer. Um, and a lockout didn't help much. So it's been interesting to hear sort of exactly what we're saying south of the border as well, too. We're, I, and I'm listening to people that are deeply passionate, like myself, about the Padres. So, um, Braden, uh, I'll ask uh-huh. the same question. But before I do, <laughs> I just want to touch on one specific thing as well, yeah. just to get your opinion on. Obviously, a lot of things came out of the negotiation. We, we you know, we we saw some of the innovations, if you want to call them that, go away. Things like the the man on second base for the extra innings and seven inning double headers and things disappearing to try to part of the negotiation. But the other big thing that came out was this finally finding some form of solution to what has continued to be the Astros stealing scandal um, sort of fallout and this new technology that maybe you can tell us a little bit about. We've got pitchers and catchers now wearing smartwatches and the pitchers are able to basically give their signs um, digitally to the catchers or to the pitchers or the catchers to the pitchers on the wristwatch, like a smartphone or smartwatch or Apple watch or whatever that uh, allows them to not be doing the old fashioned, you know, two or three painted fingers in the dirt kind of thing to give away signs. And the idea being that it should mitigate any ability for the opposing team to steal signs and therefore, you know, I guess remove the problem somehow. Uh, what I find ironic about it is instead of penalizing those who were cheating, we're now giving the people who were being cheated on uh, different technology to try to avoid that in the first place. Seems kind of backwards, but maybe it'll work. What do you think? That kind of cheating has been happening for a very long time. So to think that this will mitigate that, I, I mean, I see how that could work. Uh, I I'm new to hearing anything like this. So I haven't seen it on the players yet either. So uh, it'll be interesting to, to kind of see how that is implemented and used. And if it's used by the whole league or by just certain, certain players, certain pitchers, uh, I think it's an interesting idea. I might as well give it a shot. It's, I mean, it's, it's moving further toward the robotic umpires too. So who knows uh, when it comes to whether or not baseball is going to succeed this year, though, I think that was your initial question that Elliot yeah. was answering. Uh, I think that it will. I think, uh, I guess specifically speaking in Canada, I think the Jays excitement is going to bring a lot of eyeballs to the game uh, as, as the Jays find success uh, this year. It's only three games. I think, I believe in this team, man. And I think Canada's going to start to as well. Jays, if they don't already. Jays Padres World Series. I'm calling it right now. 
Next Ooh. year. Next year, away for Fernando, man. That team will that team will suffer for a little bit without Fernando Tatis Jr. We're doing fine. <laughs> All right. That's topic one. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing. Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week. They recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. Okay, topic two is another great summer activity, another great summer sport, and a spring classic of its own baseball comes back right at around the same time that golf has its most prestigious tournament that is the masters and the masters took place this weekend thursday friday saturday sunday and world number one um scotty scheffler winning his first major uh a huge uh win for him too uh although his sunday performance definitely made it a little bit closer he was uh, he had a quite a commanding lead going into Sunday, but he was only able to turn in a, a, a one under for the final round. Uh, but he still won by several strokes over Rory McIlroy, who was at minus seven. He won with a minus 10. So a great showing for the world. Number one wins his first green jacket. Um, but the big story all weekend was the return of Tiger. Uh, and I say that because you need to think about the context of what Tiger Woods means to sport and who he is in the sports world, right? He sits in that Mount Rushmore level of the greatest of all time, period, not even a conversation. And he sits in an equal high uh, esteem when, it, when we talk about like synonymous athletes to a sport, right? Tiger Woods is probably, if not in the top five, one of the top 10 most famous people in the world. Um, he's instantly recognizable. The name alone is instantly recognizable. Um, and it's because from 19 years at the masters all the way through controversy, through struggle, through injury, through near death experiences, um, his life has been dramatic. It has been, um, you know, scintillizing and exciting as a fan to follow. Uh, it has been great fodder for tabloids, all of the things that create superstardom. you check every box. Um, you know, and, and that's the reality of it. Less than 12 months ago, Tiger Woods was removed from a car and was looking at the prospect, the prospect of a prosthetic leg. They did not know if they'd be able to save his leg. They managed through several, several surgeries to repair his leg. There was the question, would he ever walk again? And then the question was, okay, he may walk. Will he ever be able to swing a golf club and play golf again, even casually? And then all of a sudden we were having the conversation, oh my God, would he ever play competitively again? And here we are, after having seen him play a couple rounds with his son, we thought that might be good enough. Isn't it great to just see Tiger Woods swing a golf club again? No, he walked on to the first tee at Augusta in front of one of the largest crowds they've ever had there in person and took 
us on a, another ride, another Tiger ride. And what excitement that was. Just to give you some context here, ESPN reported that they saw a 21% increase in the ratings of this Thursday's opening round compared to the last three years of the Masters. A 31% jump on Friday coverage. Those are usually the two least watched days, obviously, the work week days. They contribute almost all of that to Tiger because that's almost all they covered on Thursday was Tiger Woods and Tiger Watch. Um, and, and that in and of itself is a story. He didn't have to win and he didn't win. He fell apart throughout the weekend, but look, he made the cut. Uh, and, and the guys competing in the top 75 golfers in the world on a surgically repaired leg, um, that, you know, in and of itself is another chapter in what is already a remarkable story. I'll go to Braden first. I know you, like myself, grew up around a lot of, um, people who watched and loved Tiger when we were almost too young to really appreciate it, but we kind of grew up on Tiger, right? Throughout the summer, you'd go to our grandparents' house or, or one of our uncle's houses, and if he was playing, they were watching because he had that kind of capture. And I know as we grew up as sports fans, you know, we were just as, as intrigued by it. What was it like for you to see this next chapter in Tiger's career, and, and did it grab your attention like it used to? I'm not surprised that ESPN uh, reported that there was a lot of – uh, viewers that first round because it was exciting to see Tiger and every stroke that he had the first the first day. It's unfortunate to see that he kind of fell off as the days went on. He, he had a pretty dis. I think they said it was his career worst uh, uh, scorecard uh, at the Masters, which which I mean, unfortunate because you want to see that success and you 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 always want to see Tiger at the top of his game and competing. Um, but but not surprised that that. It, it wasn't, I love that somebody asked him, you know, do you think you could win the masters? And his immediate answer is absolutely. Yes. Because that's the mindset. That's, that's exactly what you should be thinking going in um, with or without uh, having gone through the accident and the, the rehab that he went through three days walking. I'm, I don't even know how far they walk, but, you know, kind of jumping back to our conversation on baseball and cheating, like, is it cheating to get somebody to drive you around like it's golf it doesn't why do they have to walk (laughs) why is that in the rules and maybe it's not every tournament i'm not familiar but it's just like the guy was in a really bad accident he's probably the best golfer of all time why can't you put him on a on a on a cart and well, I, I, you know, to answer your question, I think what puts the most strain on the leg is the uneven ground and trying to hit cut shots and fades, you know, and swinging the club so the ball goes 175 miles an hour. There was a conversation about carts uh, when we were kids in PGA because there was another player that had a, uh, a similar injury and it was a chronic thing. And, and I, I, I have to go back and look at it. Anyway, uh, Tiger, it was great. I mean, look. I was off this week and I spent most of Thursday and Friday watching the masters. So I was one of those people that contributed to the, the ratings job. Usually I only watch the weekend because obviously I'm working with stuff like that, but, but I wanted to see, and, and the coverage was so interesting, as you said, because basically he was in the feature group in both days uh, on Thursday and Friday. And that was what they just showed nonstop. You got to, I watched every shot tiger took and it speaks to how important Tiger Woods is to the game of golf. Because I think when Tiger isn't playing, I think golf really suffers. I really think yeah, like, they don't have personalities. They don't, they, they, there's not the same level of interest. There's not, 
you know, you get your passionate fans that are going to watch every week, no matter what, but someone like me, I'm far less interested in golf if, if Tiger Woods isn't playing. And I've noticed that. And, and I think, you know, I, I think the PGA tour has a problem because eventually Tiger's not going to be able to play anymore. And what happens next? Who's the next guy? It's not Dustin Johnson. Like he's boring. Roy McIlroy, maybe. Uh, funny you say that, Elliot. Uh, you didn't see lefty this week. Yeah. This was the first time Phil Mickelson was not in the Masters, and I wonder how many people noticed that. I certainly did, but I, yeah. I'm a left-handed golfer. so I <laughs> There you go. You know, I think you're right, Elliot. I think that Tiger Woods is two things at once to the PGA. He is their biggest and brightest star and probably always will be. Uh, I don't think they're I, – I, I shouldn't say ever because it's possible someone else comes along, but – the narrative and story attached to him as a person, as an athlete, uh, and as a, as a celebrity is so supernova hot that it is very difficult for anything to, to, to shine even near it. You know, I think um, they asked uh, Scotty Scheffler uh, before the tournament even started, are you worried about Tiger being a distraction as you go into your first tournament as the world number one? He said, no, it's great. I don't have to worry about that. You know, everybody else's attention's distracted by the big, you know, booming, uh, chaotic uh, cheers every time he hits a golf club, which is great. But the truth is, like, Tiger is that huge, bright and, 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 and shining thing. But he, as you say, he is also this difficult enigma for the PGA to solve now because they don't know they're not going to know quite what to do with him when he's not there anymore. And it doesn't look like tiger is ready to go play like old person golf. You know, he's still trying to compete. He's always been a competitor that exists, but what is the longevity of this in all truth? And is this good enough? And I think it is. I think people are still willing to tune in. They clearly, the numbers would suggest that, but you know, he's been like the victim of several things throughout his career. He's been the victim of his own violent swing as such a young age that made him a superstar golfer, but broke his body in multiple ways throughout his career, damaged the longevity he would have. He was the victim of his own bad decisions, obviously well-documented. We don't need to get into them. He's the victim of bad luck. If you want to call that accident, you know, bad luck. It doesn't seem like, you know, he made some, maybe a bad choice driving too quickly there, but he's throughout all of those things though, you know, he, he's never played the victim. He's always been the resilient one who steps back into the ring and picks it up, took it on the chin, accepted his, his place in it. I think that comes probably from being the one black kid in an incredibly racist white dominated sport. You know, he spoke a couple of weeks ago at, at a hall of fame event where he told the story about how much he enjoyed as a teenager playing at any golf club that had a CC behind it representing country club. Cause it meant at the time in the South, most of those places weren't allowing or admitting black members. So he would walk up and be told he wasn't allowed in the club house and he would only ask two questions what's the course record and where's the first tee and that's what he would do that's the mindset of without question one of sports greatest apex predators and that is what tiger has always been and in this moment what's tricky or difficult is that now tiger isn't playing against the other guys out there he's playing against two things one the longevity of his failing body and two his legacy and he is fighting both of those things to, to figure out what is next. And as I say, he's not ready to pack it in and, and go play on like the champions tour or something. Clearly he's still able to compete. He's, he's still finished in the top 50 at the masters, which 
there's not a single person sitting here who would ever have a sniff of that level of, of, of competition. So he's still an elite, elite level golfer. But, but what is next for Tiger is the biggest question in golf. And it's a question only he can truly answer. And I don't know where we're going with that. He says he's going to go play the open. That's awesome. It's going to be great for ratings. I guess as long as they can keep putting him out there, golf will keep making as much money off his back as they always have, uh, which is another conversation about the black athlete in America. But you know, it's not like he hasn't done well for himself at the same time. I think at this point, though, you know, father time is undefeated is an old saying in sport. It's starting to feel like we're getting close to that. You know, anyway, what do you guys think on that? And, and we can wrap it up with with sort of final thoughts. Well, I think, you know, you make a good point. I mean, the other question here is, is how much is Tiger actually going to play? Like, is he going to play just the majors and maybe one or two other tournaments a year? It, it seems like that's at least where he's headed. He doesn't need to play every week anymore. And so that's another thing that PJ Tour is going to have to contend with as well, too, is, is, is you know, a, a Tiger that's around but not playing every event. Um, and so that's the other side of that question as well, too. All right, that's topic two. Hey, if you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Hattrick's very own Braden Dollar Coltman sits down every Wednesday with his best bud, Christian Steck. And together, they break down all the news, rumors, transactions from around the basketball world. Whether it's the NBA or college hoops, these two guys love talking basketball, and you are going to love listening every Wednesday on the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Okay, to wrap up this week's episode, we're going to do hats off. And, uh, you know, I think if you don't know what hats off is by this point, you haven't listened to enough of our shows, but basically each one of us is going to tip, tip our hats to someone from the sporting world that we think we should acknowledge. So we will go to Elliot first. Elliot, who are you taking your hat off to this week? Yeah, this week I am tipping or taking my hat off to a 16-year-old high school sophomore, Anna Davis, who last week won the Women's Amateur Championship at Augusta National, posting a score of minus three, including a 369 on the final day to win the championship by one stroke. Uh, 16 years old, winning at Augusta, can you imagine? Uh, real talent there and really excited to see where her career goes uh, because that's amazing. And when you see what the, what that course can do to even professionals to come up with a, a three under uh, at 16 years of age and win an amateur, hey, hats off. Well done, Ms. Anna Davis. That's a, that's a great one. Uh, that's really awesome. Um, I didn't, I hadn't heard that story. So I'm, that's very exciting and, and good for her. Um, nice to... Nice to know that that's happening, considering the fact that Augusta National Golf Club, uh, I think up until about five years ago, didn't admit women to even play at their club. So good to see that they're now hosting a a women's amateur tournament and awesome for Anna Davis. That's awesome. Braden, who are you taking your hat off to this week? I'm taking my hat off to an unlikely player uh, who who I will tip my hat to this week, but will hope that he does not further succeed after this week. And that's to Joel Embiid, uh, who is the center in 22 years to capture the scoring title in the NBA. I think that's an incredibly hard feat. And he's the first win since Shaquille O'Neal. So hats off to you, Joel Embiid. Congratulations on the scoring. Uh, But let's hope that all of that success ends as they uh, begin the playoffs against the Toronto Raptors. 
Shaq had lots of things to say about the Raptors. I know you uh, you don't agree with all of them, but I guess you agree with that part of it. You don't no, feel God, like the, no, you don't think no. Shaq is right when he says that the Raptors don't stand a chance against those 76ers. Uh, he's puffing his chest. I think Shaq hasn't watched enough of what Toronto, the Toronto Raptors have done lately. They're, uh, they're an incredibly dominant team when it comes to defense, and I think Philly's going to have a very hard time uh, uh, with that in the playoffs. And I don't, and I also think it's going to we're, we're going to start to see some of the effects of having non-vaccinated player in playoff series, not being able to play. Um, Matisse Bull will not be eligible for games three and four. Uh, and that's one of their, their kind of keys to that system. So, all right. I uh, will tip my hat to the bench boss for the Edmonton Oilers, Jay Woodcroft, who has taken a team that was struggling when he took over at the end of January through 29 games. He is 19, seven and three, 41 points. He has already put up on the board as the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. He's taken them to second place in the division, uh, an opportunity to fight for, uh, you know, a really strong playoff um, position when, they, when, when, when we get to that. I believe there's something like 10, nine or 10 games left. So they're in, they're exactly where they wanted to be at the beginning of the season, I would argue. Um, they found a very roundabout way to get there. And Jay Woodcroft, I think, deserves a lot of credit for getting them there. He also now sits in the top five all time when it comes to coaches through 30 games record-wise um, as a new coach. So he has had incredibly quick and effective success. The team seems to have um, you know, committed themselves to playing well under him. That says a lot. And now I'm excited to see what the team uh, has come playoff time with him um, at the helm. So my hat comes off to Jay Woodcroft. They had a fantastic California trip. Uh, sweeping every California team. They went on, a, I believe, a five-game winning streak, and they unfortunately losing to Colorado on the weekend. But when you're facing the best team in the league and you take them to a shootout, um, you know, you're definitely doing something right. So uh, things looking good in oil country, and Jay Waycroft, I believe, deserves a lot of the credit. Thank you, Braden. Thank you, Elliot. Another great week, another great episode. Thanks to everybody for listening. Again, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, uh, and if you don't already, please subscribe, follow, and share with all your friends. Have a great week. That's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey. 
and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.